don't necessarily have to do with that making a bottom line, you know, I have to sell these and make this much money. No, I just want to make something weird and, and make it with this person because they have a really good spirit. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. Artists are out there doing the work. You know what I'm saying? Literally, literally printing editions for big time artists, collaborating, finding a way to create. I mean, literally running a print shop out of their bedrooms. <laughs> like I guess Leslie Do Good of Do Good Press. It's so amazing to see the work she's doing that she'll be having a retrospective at Subliminal Projects opening June 5th, featuring over 70 artists, including Shepard Furry. Yes, that Shepherd Fairy. Obey. Yes, that dude. Him. <laughs> but the woman behind that with the best Afro and printmaking land tells us about how she did it. Her commitment to her practice manifests in a lot of ways. We talked about the upcoming show, of course, how she fit all that stuff into her actual bedroom where she sleeps. <laughs> it's still hard to believe, but working with all those incredible artists and knowing yourself, you know, and knowing what you want to do with your art. Like it's super important. This is absolutely amazing. It's a great conversation with my Prince sister. Make sure you check out StudioNoisePodcast.com. In the about section, you'll see a playlist of my, your boy Jay Barber's favorite episodes of The Noise. Check that out. And the store, the store is live. Just to begin with, you can get a Studio Noise embroidered apron. Or you can get a t-shirt with the new red cover art. I think I really like that red cover art too. It really pops. I'll be adding more stuff as I go along. You know, it's a one man show. <laughs> I got to give it some time. Work with me. I give it. I, I'm going to get it done. I promise. Join the Studio Noise Patreon and support the show. And you'll get discounts for all this merch and all the new stuff that I'll be adding soon enough. I appreciate all the support from all the listeners. And can I get one more favor from you? Can you please just reach over and, and just get two art lovers, two art lovers that you know, you know, who uh, them people right there, the ones you just thought about right now, them, those two. Just tell them, tell them to listen to the voices of black art right here. Tell them it's the Studio Noise podcast and tell them we got Leslie Do Good from Do Good Press right after the break. It's the noise. My name is Sudeka Nzinga Terrell. I am a fine artist, curator, and arts educator, and you are listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Yes, it's your boy Jay Barber back for more Studio Noise. We got a special, extra special guest. I saw my guest, uh, she was screen printing i said who is this sister with the afro screen printing i was like yo i got to get to know this sister so i had to go and find a leslie do good what's up how you doing Woo! thank you okay i'll <laughs> calm down i'm great this is too exciting to be talking with you but i'll i'll do my best to be a good uh, participant oh no nah, excited you, to be here thank you oh you super good yo I've been I've been waiting to talk to you yo love love your work your love seeing what you're doing and you know what i'm saying in the day 
that we doing this interview, you got this big announcement of the retrospective coming up. So we got to talk about that stuff too. So, I mean, you out here doing it, Joe, how are you feeling right now? I'm on top of the world. My heart won't stop beating so fast though. I can't sleep very well because I'm too excited. You know, I'm, I'm easily <laughs> excited in general. So this much actual, like I've been working on this for a while. It's just finally, you know, getting released. So I feel really good and less anxious that it's finally out there. Um, but you know, you try hard and get places. It's just trying. I've been doing without bragging about it too much on the internet. It's good <laughs> to finally show off by now, you know? I mean, you get the intro from Shepard Fairley. I mean, uh, you, you got to you got to brag a little bit. I don't know, yo. It might, it might be time. To, it might be time. To let it swing in the wind a little bit, yo. I don't know. I can't sleep now. You know, it's too exciting. <laughs> you submitted that quote a couple weeks ago, and I freaked out then. And I've been quiet about it. But, you know, it, it's great to finally be able to scream um, uh, that people approve. I'm happy about that. Yeah, that's what's up, yo. So people might not know what we talk about. We talking about. Your retrospective show you got coming up. Subliminal Projects is pleased to present Do Good, an exhibition with printmaker and artist Leslie Do Good. That's you. <laughs> Found of Do Good That's Press, true. the first and only black female owned fine art print shop in New York City. Oh, my goodness, girl. Are you really the, the only one in New York? I've done quite a bit of research trying to find others. It is lonely, you know. There are not <laughs> many, if if at all. And if they are, they're very small and hard to find. But yeah, I've, I've asked around and done research and haven't found any others in New York State. So I believe I'm the first and only fine art printer specifically to be an owner of a shop in New York State. Yes. Oh, that's awesome, yo. Thank you. Yeah, kind of. But it's also kind of sad that it's 2021 <laughs> and this is still the first of whatever, you know. It, it, yeah. We're still working through it for sure, but yeah. I mean, we should we used to that kind of stuff anyway. I mean, I'm sure you've been into a lot of places where you were only uh, not just black person, but black woman, probably maybe woman. I don't know. Like, how what, what's been your experience? Because being the minority is normal for me. It makes it kind of difficult to see myself at all. <laughs> you know, and I relate more so to the people around me and identify with that more so than what I can assume I am because I can't see myself. Um, you know, and that comes from being in elementary schools that are, you know, split diverse ish, but when society in general is predominantly white, it takes a different type of mindset for a person who's not to get an identity that is different than the mainstream because the mainstream has to be what the biggest majority of the stream is, which is white. That's fine. America, we are that for now. Uh, you know, but we're seeing a lot of tensions come arise when there is, a conflict happening in that majority so anyway my identity streams from the things i collect more so than the people i'm around and i kind of get a sense of belonging out of the stuff that i can identify with um and you know and i try to relate that to things that can last longer than myself too so what Hopefully. was the question i'm sorry that oh no 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 you right you right on the you right on the head joe because it's something about uh i always tell people print making is a community right and so every mm -hmm. time you go to a print shop, you can find another person that's into what you're into and like a lot of different people into a lot of different things. So it's a lot of it's always fun just to walk into the shop and you never know who's going to be in there, what they're going to be working on, like what y'all going to end up talking about, relating to all that kind of stuff. So I think that's what you're saying. It's like you relate to what's there, right, rather than okay. focusing on what's not there. 
Yeah, I mean, and that comes from a, a sense of knowing that other people don't know what they are either, you know, and mm. and that animal inquisitive questioning, you know, yeah. you, you relate to other objects and things and experiences. So talking, yes, and being a part of a community is a big element to being comfortable enough to kind of situate those questions out. So when it becomes like, what do you go by? They, he, she, you know, whatever. It's just a matter of like, what are you getting at is my, you know, question more so than. We have to be respectful, of course, to every single body, but when it comes to just the quality of what the conversation can revolve around, it usually has more to do with the listening element more so than the relating to what animal you are, you know? Uh, Absolutely, yo. Absolutely. So that kind of attitude has got to be serving you well and doing all these prints that you've been doing. So the Retrospective says you have 70 prints in the show? 70, yes. All these different artists. Now, in what capacity... Were you working uh, over those 70 prints? You know, it's more than 70. It's actually 80 something, but it's. Uh, look, they're selling way... you short. Tell them to tell them. Well, update that like release, yo. <laughs> tell them I'm on my numbers. I'm on all my numbers, yo. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta be nice. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't give my own numbers away because I like didn't give them right at first and then added five more. You know, I just added one today. Oh, I added four today. But it's, uh, everybody's listed on the website so it's cool to have everybody's names there but my capacity as a printmaker has more to do also as a project manager because you know in in the different spaces that I've occupied as Duke Press I've had to really negotiate with the people I'm working for to say this is what I'm capable of you know especially because it's limited in a lot of ways around my own capacity so occasionally I'll just get the client or friend that wants something done in a size that is manageable in general by me but a lot of the time it starts with a conversation on me asking, what are you talking about? What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and then being like, what's the price of this and that? And I'm like, how many of what are you talking about? You know, and then we'll go back and forth until we get to an agreement. But, you know, taking it slow and doing the production management with that process, instead of it being a button you click, makes it a lot more genuine of an interaction. And you get more so of an interest in what the client is interested in and in which part of the project they're interested in the quality turning out the nicest. Mm-hmm. Um, different elements and different ways that can sort itself out. But that's why having a show of all of them, which I've never even you know seen them all at once, of course, is going to be important for everyone's um, analysis. Mine, mine as well. Yeah. So, so you found a do good in says in 2017. So all these prints were made since 2017. Yeah, 2017 until today. I just handed over the last one that's going to be in it. But oh, there's four more to make. Yes, it's four. How many years is that? It started 17, 18, 19, 19. Is this four years? I think I'm on four. No, that's, that's, good. that's good work, yo. <laughs> that's that's, that's uh, pretty prolific. Thank you. I mean, it feels not that prolific because this has also been working in conjunction with the day job for a lot of that. Mm. And I've you know been the most productive last year, of course, but that's what also gave me the drive and ambition to realize that I have enough clients on my own to not have to work a day job anymore. Yeah. So it was only when I had the, the client capacity there that I was able to quit. But before that, I was kind of steaming day and night, you know, not really hanging out with people anymore to just get the production done. Does your day job has to do with art too? Yeah, I've been working at Powerhouse Arts under Luther Davis, and he's just the best there is when it comes to a technician that knows all of the production hats that need to happen in one conjuncture. So he's kind of the, um, it's the conductor, you know, it's the conductor yeah. of the print shop. He also plays all the instruments, you know, so he has to really be 
aware and astute of what the shop is capable of and what we can do in a timely manner to give the clients, you know, some kind of guesstimation on what to expect. But um, that's a hard job. It's big deals. Viewers were the biggest artists, you know, so it was great to be a part of that team and, and to learn the really top-notch quality work that's being done and out there. Yeah, that's awesome, yo. But they, they're so generous, you know, with their with their knowledge and skill when it comes to me having a business already and working for someone else. So there's a different type of model that's not quite apprentice. It's kind of grooming someone else to be a contender, you know, because you can't have that limited of a market when it is fine art production, but it's so specific as fine art printing, you know? Yeah, that was going to be my question. Like, how much of seeing the work at the day job, seeing him and what he does inspired you to start your own thing? Well, I was already doing it when I met Luther and I started my business before I met him at all, but knew of him. Um, but I was working under Carl LaRocca at K-Rock Screen Printing um, from 2014, I think, until 2018, the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and th in those four years, I learned the majority of what I learn and use now on a daily basis. But Carl really gave me the foundational knowledge of what it meant to be a fine art printer, but you know, he also does commercial stuff and t-shirts and tote bags. So, you know, when you're starting out at a shop that does that many multiple types of things, also fine art, um, you kind of have to start at the bottom and work your way up no matter where you came from. So everybody starts out in t-shirts and you kind of wait for the paper person to leave eventually, which everyone <laughs> does because you can't survive for that long on that amount of money, you know? So it's kind of relying on that revolving door but yeah. it takes five years or so for someone to leave for someone else to kind of pick it up but there's other people hired in between and so i was um on my p's and q's to be as proficient and excellent as a printmaker as i could and it you know really paid off in my own knowledge of of how the art of printmaking can relate to a lot of other elements and um just you know, nature it's just everything isn't it you know print <laughs> Carl's a genius though. He's a really amazing mathematician and, and computer guy or something too. Like he just doesn't always like communicate that great, but you can communicate in numbers really well. So we had a really good time with like match this Pantone, but make it a little bluer. You know, he'd tell me and, and like put together all these like specific ingredients and, you know, it's like baking a cake with someone. They have, yeah. they have all of the ingredients that they don't want to put it together because they have to go put together some more cakes, you know? Yeah. So I get all the films and I did all the, the, I, I just reverse engineered all of the knowledge that Carl and Luther and other Alexander Henry G um, have been doing, but I can kind of use it for my own benefit now because I get what they were doing. Just took a lot of tinkering. Yeah. Did you, were you always into printmaking? Like how did you get into it in the first place? I don't know. I think I'm kind of weird as a person. I like machines and I like taking things apart and putting them back together, you know, right, better. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes they end up monsters and sometimes they just break things. <laughs> Sorry, uh, things for my parents, I've broken. But it's a way to learn things that's so perceptual and, and something that can grow into kind of knowledge you can compound with itself. But putting those same types of thinking in line with the automation you can do in your own production as a body, you know, to maintain yourself, you have to keep walking. But there's other ways you can trick your production into kind of slipping into the next thing for itself to kind of work out and get done eventually. So I have to be very careful about how my time is spent so I don't get stuck in a place that doesn't result into um, things getting done in a timely manner. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's just wearing all the hats at once. It's just tricky to maintain as an individual. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But so you let the, does a process of screen printing 
like help you settle down a little bit, like get into it. You know what I mean? It's very meditative. Yeah. 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 But only because I've been doing it for so long, you know, it's the, it's the repetitiveness of doing it individually when you're working on a print, you got one thing, you're just going to set up on a road trip, you know, doing the same old thingy over and over, yep. walk, dance, whatever print, flood thing, rack, you know, thing you do. <laughs> but the, the glory of having done it for so long is that I've done it in a lot of different capacities and with other people and a lot of different sizes and stuff of, of prints. This could be a really easy, dirty joke. Do not go there. <laughs> but, you know, the joy is perfecting things that you can continue to do differently over and over. So, you know, there's limitations, of course, to the scale. But let's not talk about the limitations. Let's talk about what we can do in that whatever 22 by 30 max size I can produce. Uh, square foot is a big amount. Really, for a wall space, yeah, it's a, it's a, a very big apartment. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff that can happen in a, in a size like that. A lot I of versatility. So many color things. Yeah. I've been really having a time with color. <laughs> That's the fun part about screen printing. You can do the stencil stuff all day long. But really, like what you print yeah. and the thing you're trying to get out of it, you know, I have a, I have a right answer and a wrong but the way colors can combine can make the goal simplified. You know, if you're making a composite color with like two or three or four overlapping layers to get a gradient out of something that is impossible to screen print one color at a time. Um, that's what I've been tinkering with now. No, nah, you're doing a great job too. Like and just looking through all the uh, stuff on your website, make sure y'all go to her <laughs> website, do good, do <laughs> do slash good press.com <laughs> it's a dash yeah, yeah dash. No, you gotta good. make sure you put the dash in do good do dash good yeah. yeah. go check out all the work she got up there and you'll learn much more about her yo one interesting thing about it is that you set up in your house condo bedroom but like where where is this studio at like the pictures it's of your bedroom, space yeah. are so tight like you you <gasps> are really like packed in there <laughs> like, yep like getting the work done, yo. How did that end up happening? That's all the space I have. Unfortunately, I'm just one little girl and I don't really need much to live off of. So my bed is where my drying racks live. And so I can't sleep and print at the same time. It's easy to do and undo. <laughs> but every place I live, really, I try to make better. And when it comes to just living or production, I, you know, messed up the floors terribly. I put down some soft stuff so I didn't really wreck the hard wood below. You know, I try to protect what's there because I know I'm not going to be here forever. But when it comes to the space that I can manage, it's really my own little room that I'm, you know, paying rent for. I live with six grown men and they have the other rooms similar size to mine, a little smaller because I have this little like exposure unit area that goes to the outdoors. It's really a mud room, I think, for the original architecture of the house. Mm -hmm. But then again, this extra part just doesn't quite make sense of the rest. This building, these buildings... <laughs> <laughs> they're not managed the best is all so it, it, it's important to use people barter and you know know people that can build stuff and mm -hmm. things break if you can and all the things that go along with being an independent adult i don't have any kids so i don't have to worry about that side of things but uh running a print shop in a bedroom requires things to be very multifunctional and collapsible so i have to be very careful when it comes to accumulation um but yeah it's a live workspace and I think it's 150 square feet. I measured it once, but I forget. Wow. You getting all this work done in 150 square feet. That's the beauty it's of terribly, New York. 
it's super New York. It's terribly uncomfortable. I'm trying desperately to not have to do this anymore. You know, because sometimes I'll fume my room up and have to, you know, find a friend to sleep over, you know, because it's just, you can't, I just, I just sealed a bunch of paper last night and you can't just sleep in a room with like that many fumes. <laughs> no, you, I tried to no, you can't. air it out. <laughs> I did, but yeah. I just like aired it out as best as I could. And it's, 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 it's not a good idea when I do talks at school, I'm like, don't do this. But I do want people to know that that versatility is available to any space. You don't have to do the production of doing, but you can still have an area that is your trampoline, your kitchen of an art studio. I don't want people in my print shop when I do make one that is more public to work in on their own stuff. There is a community element to print shop stuff, but I think that is implicit with the equipment being in one stagnant place. If you can have the ability to use those things in different areas and different places, I want to do workshops in the parks, for instance, um, then you can kind of get a lot more of your capacity out without having the permission that's granted with access to this space, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I like that. I like that idea. It's far out. I'm not like, I'm not full of good ideas. I just have a lot of <laughs> stuff to say. <laughs> you just have to do it. Don't, don't judge. Yeah. Don't judge the the merit of the idea. You just got to do it. Like, Cause you know, like, were you a kid and like interested in a lot of different types of art before you landed on printmaking? I, I was like, I, I switched a lot from, uh, I, you know, I start where all, you know, young black boys start at with comic books. So for comic, sure, yeah, so comic books. That's and, a culture you know, thing too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you get, go from comic books into, into other things and then you just go to a museum and you see another kind of art and you kind of like, well, that's cool too. Like, well, you know, what if I could do that? And, you know, mm-hmm. you just keep following right on down a rabbit hole till you know, you making prints in your bedroom with no I bed. Well, it's a futon, <laughs> multifunctional all the way. I also used to work at Urban Outfitters. That's where this thing came from. It's fine still. No, I love it, yo. It's dope, yo. That's dedication, yo. You all the way in it. <laughs> For real. Like, you, have, a, you have an exposure unit and everything in there? Hell yeah. I can't have a print job without an exposure. You're going to question it back. Hey, yes. I don't know, yo. Say, hey, when I, I taught myself screen printing, right? So when I used to do it, it was uh, me, a 300 watt light bulb, and I had like this mm. real, like complicated setup with my my daughter's Elmo chair uh, to get the get the right exposure unit on it. it used to take me 22 minutes to expose the screen. You, know. you figured it out though. That's yeah, some, I figured like, it out. Back and yeah, forth to get that number though, isn't it? Oh yeah, it, it was a. I, I messed up a lot of stuff, and you know, I used to spray my stuff out of the car wash. So you know, nice. You spend you spend 18 minutes, not quite long enough, off to the car wash. <laughs> washing stuff down and trying it again so see but what if there i'm so good at just making setups in a lot of different places um and i know that you know that that kind of tinkering can kind of build upon itself so you can kind of compound that into other ways of thinking too you know like if you can use an elmo chair to make an exposure unit then you can also like well i can easy make up in this other <laughs> <laughs> exactly. like, does it stop no, I, 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 did, I think it was super helpful because by the time I did get it right, like I understood the physics of it, mm, like I understood mm. all the fundamentals. So now it's like I can make anything like yeah. once I figured it out. That's the knowledge to share. That's the power. I've been trying to tell my students, you know, I don't have any this semester, but last semester it was 
all about trying to get that like exposure right. You know, I'm, I'm training them to do it remotely and all the exposure stuff you're tinkering with. And they figured it out. You know, they did it. I helped train and get to the point that was like successful enough to repeat. But the, you know, trial and error and the washing it out, if you don't have access and all these other ups and downs, if you're not like in it to win it, if you're not like got a goal, it's really hard to get yourself trained to even like use that as an access point. So I think having some kind of like a, it's just like an inquisitive nature in general yeah. that some people have and other people just don't. Yeah. So it's hard to encourage um, curiosity to take place if you don't really have that stick to itiveness. Oh yeah. That, that's a, that's a great word for it. Stick to itiveness. <laughs> like prepare to fail first and learn from that failure. And then maybe you'll get better at it, but yeah. like you're probably suck right off the bat. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, because it's, it's something about that maybe too. Like maybe you'll get good at it. Like you won't. You won't be good at it. Because even when I when I did figure it all out, I mean, it took me at least another two or three full prints just to get mm. a good print out of it. Mm-hmm. Like even even all that understanding really doesn't mean anything till you put like the extra layers into it. I've heard that before. You did teach yourself screen printing, huh? That was like a hundred percent, like very. <laughs> Yeah, if you've never seen anybody do it, like you can YouTube stuff all day long, but it's really difficult to get that like pressure right and angle and stuff. So yeah, yeah, um, that's so, very. I commend you for that. Good oh. job. <laughs> <laughs> you're pro yeah. now, but like oh, yeah. that's the way your injury I is. Came like, in that's hard, pretty yeah. hardcore. I came up hard, knock life ill. It was it was it was rough for a little while there. But you didn't go to do that, right? How did you train? I you know wanted to be an artist in a in a sea of it felt like a sea of journalists. You know, my mm. dad and mom met at, at MU, Missouri University's big on journalism. And they, you know, moved to Kansas City where my mom was from after whatever college. But anyway, they're just, they're astute, collegiate, good parents that really wanted the best for their children and still do, of course. My sister was a good girl and also went to J school in, in Missouri and Missouri University, and I'm I'm the weirdo youngest, trying my best to to fit in and not in my heart. You know, I can get along with anyone, but I really prefer to draw and and be by myself and kind of hula hoop or swing and do these repetitive motion activities as a kid. So, you know, with with when the choice of of school came about, you know, high school, college, all these things you're thinking about your future. I was just, you know, interested in learning where do you go from there? My dad introduced me to this artist knowing I was like interested in art and she had a studio in downtown Kansas city. And it's like a really big, beautiful place. She gave me some beads and it was like a little (laughs) studio visit. And I saw her lifestyle and I was like, I want to do that. And, you know, realized to do that, you have to go to art school and do all these other things. And I did, I took classes and it trained myself. I was otherwise a pianist for all of the nineties. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I played the piano every day for all of the nineties and I hated it. I hated every single moment of it. I hated it, but I had to practice. My mom made me, you know, I can't accept my mom's money. So I would draw and play the piano, do the scales. It's boring. I hate it. But I understood that that emotiveness you can have in a piano, you know, you could have all these keys, you could play her together that's the kind of knowledge I'm putting forth now and understanding how those formative things are paying off. I get what my mom was trying to teach me, but um, what I really wanted to do was art. So I was just running away from that 
I tried to break my arm to get out of piano. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the art thing was kind of my key to not do that anymore. And eventually, you know, track and field took up the time that piano used to. So I, I got out of it just from being busier as, as a you know high school student. Point of the story, I had to be very ambitious as a young person in order to not do what my parents wanted me to do, but to also prove to them that it wasn't a bad idea. So it's, it's and I've always been doing that. And that's how I'm successful now because I'm still doing that with society. It's just, you don't see a place for yourself because it's just not there. I see that. Mm -hmm. Great. I'm going to do it anyway, but in a way that I can sneak in the box to fit, you know, I'm just working in the parameters that I have available to myself. Um, same thing with the prints and what I can print on this page, you know, is determined by this and not what I can exist in in society is determined by the government and society that we live in. So I'm trying my best to conform, but to do it in a way that I'm morally okay with. Um, and that just goes a lot of, you know, against a lot of status quo, but anyway, I, I got into printmaking in a normal way, relatively. I'm just kind of an odd person when it comes to just becoming an artist. Just very hard-headed <laughs> I don't know. The more, the more you're describing it, the more I'm starting to see, like, you know, just the repetitive nature of the scales, you know what I'm saying? Repetitive nature of practicing track. Like, you know, I think, yeah, you, think, oh you, my God, think can you, you, your parents created you a printmaker. I don't think they, they definitely did yeah, not no, do that. Oh, no, they did. It, right? <laughs> yeah, they trained you up. You like the, the repetitiveness. Like, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you like to repeat. You you like the the practice of it. That's a that's a not a learned behavior. I think that's like a, a chemical imbalance. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Some people can't do repetitive stuff, and other people just very naturally more inclined to be that way. Yeah. Um. Probably that I've you know noticed. I don't know anything. About trying, but it's just yeah. I got introduced in in school the the normal way to printmaking and what that looks like but you know elementary school at first and didn't really care but also did sculpture and painting and couldn't really get that repetitive thing down with those less you don't you don't like i don't know it's it's hard to just make one thing for me and yeah. finish it yeah. and that goes with like an art practice too which i'm also just not into commodifying anymore I, I can I can dabble all day long. I can produce things that have an answer that's right or wrong when it comes to the artist's wish. But when it comes to completing a body of work, I just can't do it. I don't want to. I would rather just keep living. <laughs> I don't know. No, nah, I love it, Joe. No, nah, it okay. makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we artists, yo. We talk to people like that all the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's nothing wrong with you not nothing I'm at all normal. yeah yes, completely sure. completely so when you so when you started uh do good press kind of what was the impetus to do it like was it one <laughs> thing or was it just kind of like you know i'm gonna do this i had a lot of epiphanies in 2016 ish mm -hmm. um 17 i forget 2017 i forget what year i think it was I can't tell time very well is a problem, but there was like, there's some parallels that I just have with my grandfather and I'm, you know, being aware of, of his life being 70 years before mine, you know, is a 70 year gap in between us. And I was, you know, into hanging out with him, listening to his science stories and stuff back in the day when, you know, we'd take family road trips to St. Louis um, and mostly clean up after him and his house because he was just a scientist. He didn't really care to live a normal life. He had a, you know, clothes piled up all over the place. 
um, my uncle like didn't clean that well. And so it was just a big old mess. So we got there, we cleaned up everything and then we could hang out. Um, and that kind of like ingrained in me, that that's just the way you just live. You clean up in the morning is what I do. And then I live my life. Um, but that's just a lot of like family history stuff and what I'm comfortable with because I'm kind of just, t- I've latched onto stuff that don't quite make sense. So 2017 ish, um, started a business because I wasn't making enough money at K Rock. You know, I've, I've worked mm-hmm. a lot of other print shop jobs at the same time I was working at K Rock early on because I just couldn't make enough money to live in a place that's under a thousand dollars, even, you know? Yeah. And it's not even like rent is the only thing I'm paying for. It's like phone bills and all these other things. And I don't really have student debt because my my dad actually, you know, we went to the bank every week when I was growing up for every week of my life, practically, you know, from elementary school to college, we would go to the bank. I would deposit $20 into the bank. And so that paid for my whole college education. My wow. dad gave me that $20. Yo, go um, pops. Yeah. But it taught me that sense of, of repetitive diligence can be a thing you can grow and then turn into something else. So I'm not able to do that. And I'm frustrated. It's 2016, 17, working all of the time at this other print shop too, that was just printing these swatches of statements on canvas, hundreds of them, you know, and there's other ladies in the back of Chinese. They would sew them into zipper bags and, and they were nice ladies. We got to be friends. They're kind of my Chinese moms. I was just a lonely printer girl and they were just so, so, so all day long wearing masks, of course, because you tie up a bunch of um, stuff into the air if you sew stuff all day long. Um, so anyway, I'm working in these funny places, but around a lot of interesting people that also have to do these jobs because it's just not that long after, uh, you know, the recession, this is between like 2010, I'm talking about and 2017, these are my issues with the economy, right. um, and being a laborer in general, you just can't make enough money to live. Yeah. Uh, if you choose to do the repetitive thing you're good at as a person who's just into that kind of, uh, robotics. Um, but not an engineer because as a black woman, I don't see any engineers. I see a few black women artists that I can relate to, but you know, the engineer field and all the other things are less expressive in a way that I could relate to as an artist. And I think that there are a lot of parallels between science, art, math, and you know, the steam jobs and things that are available. It's just hard to get um, that exposure out there. So my goal in expanding and being in a you know, shop that is more public is just to exist and let that be the example, not to necessarily be everybody's print shop they go to for this and that. I don't want to be it. I also don't want to grow to be humongous because I want to have my hands on every single thing I'm printing. You know, I don't want to have other people do all of the work. I do need some help, of course. But um, the economy basically can be supported by more small businesses. And I don't like the word small because that relates to large. And I just can't. They don't relate <laughs> to me either. And they're not trying to listen. So I'm not trying to get on their radar. Um, I'm just trying to be an example is all. I know there's a lot of other weird people out there because I have friends that also do similar stuff, but um, in their own way, of course, it's not all printmakers. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot the question. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I I love this. I love this. Your your train of thought is very interesting, but I get it. (sighs) I get what you're saying where you want to make a practice that is an example for other people. But at the same time, you don't want your practice to become some huge conglomerate pace printmaking um, type of place where uh, so many people working on so many things like you want to be there active in the process. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I just have to turn people away when I can't handle it anymore, but I can juggle things and send things off to other shops. And I do that all the time, you know, cause people ask me to print t-shirts and I'm just like, fuck, no, I'm not going to print your shirts. You know, in my head, I'm like, mm-hmm. but in <laughs> real life, I respond nicely because you don't know what that person is, where they're from, or they know all these things. You can't yeah. get people on the internet, although sometimes I am, <laughs> but you have to definitely. <laughs> Yo, this is Sean Rucker, Detroit's finest. You listen to the Studio Noise Podcast. And same thing with K-Rock, like no harm on K-Rock. I love Carl. Like he is the biggest like reason why I'm such a dorky, crazy person. There's printmaker who can tell I can do this because he uh, is not a fine artist. He obviously he's an artist and doing his own work, of course, but he didn't get trained like Luther did or Henrici. They both came from kind of like off branches of other printmakers. Um, Carl's kind of coming at it from a different engineering point of view, uh, not engineering either. It's still art, but he didn't work for it in print shop before opening K rock. So the punk rock element of just learning as you go is yeah. there. And I see that as a thing that can grow if you didn't even do what Luther and Alexander Henrici did. Um, but, you know, I also worked under them. So I feel like because I've had a lot of different hats on in the jobs that I've had, even in the labor ones that are just printing swatches on canvas for a bajillion D people, the shared element of what you're producing is really the quality of your craftsmanship and how efficiently you can get it done. So when the economy doesn't support a lifestyle that a person who prefers to do that uh, and excels at doing that uh, can produce, it's really difficult to just uh, take yourself seriously as a person. You know, what do you charge for this? Uh, But at the same time, you know what your overhead costs are, you know, like, okay, rent is this much, like this exposure unit costs that every time I use it, this printer film costs this much every time I need to get more ink is as well. So you do all the math on your overhead costs and what you need to sustain and then I just try to double it. And that's my starting price for stuff, you know? So mm-hmm. there's a, there's a limit to how much I can get done in a month. Fine. In order to cover what I can do, I need to just charge this much. Otherwise I send people to other places. That's fine. I don't need the job. I don't want to do it. Even if it is for, you know, I've printed for Jenny Holzer now in my room. Like I'm good. I'm fine. Uh, there are certain people that I would love to work with more and would really, really want to get on press but I can't quite be that picky and choosy because that's just snobby. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm not yeah. Gonna, yeah. I really, really like working with people who don't know what they're doing. Um, my youngest client and the person who's in the show that I'm most excited about, sorry, everyone else, Nova Lazzarini. She's five years old and she's just a oh. sweetheart. <laughs> how did, how did that happen? Well, her last name is Lazzarini. So she's the daughter of um, Robert Lazzarini, who is an artist. Um, Holly Brown Lazzarini is also fabulous uh, and doing artistically wonderfully stuff as well. But they're a very talented five-year-old. Um, now we're friends. You know, she came over with her parents and we printed some stuff. But I printed for Robert in the past. So <clears throat> when Nova had the idea to do a print, uh, they came to me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you were You were her print person. That's who she knew. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure that was uh, Robert inclined to make that happen, but I don't know. I, I haven't posted pictures of that. That was like a couple of years ago now. Maybe one year in June. I can't tell time at all. <laughs> so, so who else did you have you worked with that you thought was memorable? Jennifer Mac Watkins. Oh, I love her. 
Isn't she so fun? Yeah, she's great, yo. I think she's just full of really interesting ideas, too, in her prints that are like, what far out thing are you even referencing with babies in space? And then you realize the symbolism <laughs> involved. And it's like, some people aren't allowed to have babies. And even what they do, they're like barely able to exist. So it's really difficult to even imagine, you know? So it's like putting, putting like black babies off the grid that far out, you know? Yeah. Just like, anyway, I helped her print that for the portfolio in 2019 while she was still pregnant. And was that, that was, I can't tell time. I forget, but she was pregnant and yeah, she, she came over and I helped her uh, set that up and she pulled it herself. I, I was just kind of her paper girl. That was also <laughs> memorable. Love you, Jennifer. Yeah. Who else? Oh, um, I mean, those ones were people where they came in. Rose Celine is also super fun to work with, but super, super, like very hard to please. Mm. Um, she does work that goes on display and is a bigger part of a conceptual thingy, you know? So she has other avenues that don't relate to like this paper piece is going to go in a package and then get to its client or whatever is buying it, you know? She's doing fabrication elements that just need one-off prints. So you know how difficult one-offs are. Oh, yeah. Like, how are you going to get one thing right? Yeah. Um, so she brings me some poster boards and then I um, print whatever she wants on them. But sometimes it's like newsprint that needs a CMYK. And, you know, getting good at one-offs has helped me tremendously at just being better at uh, managing how an edition can work out mathematically, you know, because you can mess up so many before. Oh, no. But if you if you shuffle everything, if you keep it in the right order in other times and you bring up the weirdos to the point when you know you're going to have a mistake, um, you can kind of predict those errors out. But working with Rose was something that like, you know, I just really want to please her because sometimes she's just disappointed if I didn't do it right. <laughs> it's just, you know, mostly our, our problem is just miscommunication where I, I have a weird way of talking. Of course, I have an odd way of listening as well. Um, it's not anybody's fault, but my own. So I feel bad when I sometimes mess up because I just don't understand, but that's super rare. Um, point of the story, you have, you know, so many new clients that are hard to work with that when you do get a rhythm and a flow, like with Rose, um, she's mine forever. And I hope so, but I would happily share her with other people if she needed to do other stuff I couldn't accommodate. But now when I have all these clients that are, that are used to me, they do projects that they know I can handle. So it becomes a really easy way to grow each other's businesses in that way or art practices, you know? Yeah. So if you were to, if you were to try to grow, what direction would you grow in? I mean, I've got a whole plan. It's all my GoFundMe. I just want to, <laughs> and I have had to shift what I started out thinking would make sense to. Uh, so, you know, being, on my own in my own workspace that's also my live space for the pandemic has been incredibly successful of course because i've only gotten crazier if i own funny little routines of printing and working and printing and working sleeping a little and printing more um so because i've had more time to develop that uh outside of what last year's fruits and labors were you know because i was also teaching after i quit powerhouse um, I'm, you know, I've been working for other people and having to leave and share my attention with all these other resources and stuff, of course, all the time, as we all do, we're torn in a lot of directions, yep. Yep. but, um, the thing I've learned is that I kind of have to live work. I can't live and work that far apart from each other. 
Um, and when I worked in Red Hook at Powerhouse Arts, it was just like the commute is an hour. So that's when I did my emails. And you can make your lifestyle make sense and conform to that. But it's a lot more comfortable personally all over in my life to have just the two in one, um, except for my roommates. I feel bad because I'm shouting now and they can hear me all. Too. Um, you know, and it, so that's why I need privacy a little bit and to have just like a live workspace that's an extra room that I can host people to do residencies and small stuff with me. Um, and manage that space in a way that's healthy, you know, so yeah. that I have an architect who's going to build ventilation that makes sense and all these other things. But it's, it's important for me to have the two in proximity close because I, as a human robot, have decided that because I've combined them so well now, I can't unmarry them anymore. That was my <laughs> own Frankenstein's moment. I'm Frankenstein. Uh, the monster is the print shop. I really need it to look a certain way and not look, but work. Right. Right. Yeah. It's got to work. I don't want it to my bed to be the print shop. Anymore. I want it to be like garage situation. Ideally, you know what I mean? But it could also just be like above and below. That's what Pegasus is that Henrici was. Right. Um, and you know, that's just down the way, but that doesn't exist in bed is the problem. Mm, yeah. That's right. Um, and I've, talk to brokers who've explained why <laughs> and because uh, i'm like just find it just do it already i had three other shops fall through and i'm still waiting to get my full deposit back so that's another reason to pause um but as i'm pausing i'm not i mean we never pause we don't have a back to normal but this is normal now yeah I'm this sorry. is the normal yeah this <laughs> haven't you learned a lot you can't unlearn that's what normal means um so anyway Real estate in bed is <laughs> accidentally racist. <laughs> <laughs> That's not it's an not accident. Trying. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, there's plenty easy to get a church around here, but for some reason, it's oh, not yeah. easy to find yes. black people that own businesses. And there are a few, they're around, but they're used, they're doing things with it already. They got a plan. You know, there's way more that are owned by other types of people. It's fine that I can't quite relate to as a black woman. I am clearly articulate. I can speak well about my business and what it does and where I'm at and where I'm going. But when it comes to speaking with Hasidic men, there's always just a disconnect and a divide that is tricky to get over. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I have other representatives go out for me. We've, I've realized I've had a problem with this. It's systemic in my own self mutilating way. Um, so, I, you know, work with other people I trust and know to, to go out there with me and find places that make sense. And yeah, Bed-Stuy, the, the, the problem with storefronts and bed is that they're crazy expensive because they're banking on places to, you know, have loans, all these bank things. And that's just not sustainable. How, how is your nail salon going to pay for that worker for your rent? And for the owner without having some kind of shady thing going on on the other side of it. You know, business practices are crazy. Right. And I do not get how people can sustain that. You know, I can do more than what I've, I can pay more than what I'm paying now to be in a space that's larger than I'm in. Um, but I'm going to have to do something sketchy in order for it to be $2,500 <laughs> or below. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can't pay more than that, but I need at least 800 square feet of production space. So, you know, 3K fine with the living space included with it, but it's really difficult to find that. And I'm a printmaker. I'm not going to spend all my time going out trying to find that when the space I've already made and, and maintaining quite well is quite functional as is. So 
I get stuck in loops as we've seen in the way I speak. <laughs> That's fine. But do you, do you, or do you think you'll end up staying in New York or moving somewhere else? Because, I mean, that, that's a, a problem about, you know, big city real estate. I agree. Well, you know, the real estate and economy don't relate to each other at all. And in a lot of ways that the printmaking industry and fine art printing especially have to do with the localized network of economy that's, that's supported overall. It's not just the art workers. It's not just the fabricators. Although the, you know, galleries and the places that you're showing on working with all these things need to be somewhat close in proximity so that you can get shit done fast. Nobody's got, nobody plans for the time of production to take a week or two. I mean, they do now. We do. We, we, we get it, but give me a month. You know what I'm talking about? To get something <laughs> done. That would be it. Nobody does that. Um, but point of the story, if we're remote, it takes even further of a communication gap. And mm. I really like to have artists come fine. And there are a lot of artists in New York that are plenty ambitious more so than like already successful, you know, and there's plenty of both, of course, but that ambitious element makes it so that they would be open-minded enough to speak with me about how diversifying what their art career looks like with prints, you know, if you're successful enough is Alexander Harrison is to be sold out for so long, you know, because he's got shows coming up, he's painting, it takes a long time for him to make one thing. It could be easy to have another in production that's going to be a surefire hit to go in conjunction with, you know, draw a publisher. It's not him saying, I want prints made, but now he can have me as a contact for later on when he does need prints made uh, as an individual artist use my services. It took Drawer, who's a you know, client of mine, um, I do production for them. They send me artists. They show works on paper weekly and have that for sale on their website, which is amazing. But all of this is just getting people used to owning art and being a part of a, a economy that localizes their homes as the museum. That is the important part that I'm trying to support. I'm just trying to support myself with paying for my existence. So we need to have some inflation talk, America, because <laughs> what I'm doing is pretty specialized, but picking corn, whatever you're doing in a crop field, you know, all these other labor jobs, caretaker roles, you know, that don't get paid enough or like what the fuck is that we don't need <laughs> warehouse workers we need like localized stuff getting made so that we can support each other uh, and live decent lives i mean isn't that what we're here for uh, that, that's supposed to be what we're here for <laughs> but amazon uh one trillion dollars uh business said differently right this is a K-shaped recovery. If I was here. Point <laughs> is, I don't see how Amazon is going to, I mean, I see how it's going to keep building and ballooning, but the way that we're being told and programming, right? Television, radio, whatever it is, the masses are paid. Sometimes I see, you know, New York Times, all these magazines, more so by, by advertising companies to get some other person's message across that supports this other, like, you know, there's just too many people involved with stuff that doesn't result in a thing to hold. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just such an analog girl, you know. Like, oh, no, I, I love it. I, I think that's, a, I always say that about printmaking is that the more digital things become, the more special prints become. Especially like you're what smart. You're doing. <laughs> I did not. I mean, I see. I didn't see it coming. I'm twenty. Well, I'm thirty four. Sorry, <laughs> but you know, the the change that's happened digitally shifts so fast. You know, I, I applied to school with slides, and that was probably the last thing. You know, my dad gave me yeah. a camera when I graduated <laughs> from college. It's, 
No, maybe it was a digital camera then. I forget. But point of, it, stuff changes so fast. That yeah. It depends on what where you're at in your own development when these shifts start to happen that make me worried for the younger people that are coming up now that, you know, this is normal. We're here. This is it. What does your future look like if everything's so replaceable and immediate and forgettable over time? I, w- I would like to just have special moments encapsulated on the internet, not what I, you know, random stuff all the i like seeing other people's random stuff i'm just talking about what i put out personally yeah. and where my energy is uh, preferred to be paid it, my attention is not for free you know what i mean like this is worth <laughs> it because it's interesting to get all this information out but otherwise like you're being bought and sold constantly when you're just glued yeah. to your phone and yeah. can't get off it i do it too yeah but it's the attention. We need to be aware of yes, exactly. Our attention is what's being bought and sold, and we need to be aware of where we put our energy and what we put our energy into, and our focus on this recovery. Right now that we've had a timeout, we can kind of see where we want to grow, and that's why I'm hoping with the presentation I'm putting together in this retrospective, all to my own accord, uh, they said yes when I said, "Can we do this?" And they were like, "Okay." You know, it took a lot of uh, other back and forth besides that, but it, it's it's great to have the the backing now to say this could work. Um, but I'm by myself out here, so I really support any any. I'm happy to have any support that there is out there. I can't I can't complain. There's too many good things to celebrate. <laughs> nah, it's all it's awesome, yo. And so we got to talk about uh, your GoFundMe. You mentioned it before, but uh, your goal is very ambitious. $98,735, uh, of which you raised 17000 already, yo. That's that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's so cool to see. And I, you know, oh, I was so good in the beginning to send out thank yous to every single person. And I got lost and now there's nobody donating. And it's just hard to keep up with production alone and move my exposure unit as I lose spaces and have to break thumbs to get my deposit back, you know. So I'm running around and, and trying to correct some things that, didn't work out the way I was planning them to. Uh, my GoFundMe goal is $98,000 and change. And couple of, I'm pulling up my website now because I forgot. 98735 There we go. For that reason, because some of that is paying me back, I've already raised $47,000. Nice. Uh, there's an equipment goal below that, that has some stuff that I've already got. So that equipment is worth this much i need to get to my website that's got my numbers on it i'm just like trying to imply things that like aren't quite there but what i'm saying is i've already got a lot of that i really need sixty thousand dollars to get into a space right to just build it out to make sense and that is mostly paying for an architect to do this in a way that's specific to my way of working i need to communicate with a designer because the way i can put things together is going to be good enough to get started but the way to sustain that is going to need to have other people to support me and not just royal who's a wonderful builder crafter painter all the things uh built a lot of the shop setup that i've got now um and he did a fabulous job but to have a storefront public presence i need to do something that's a little bit more sustainable than what can be you know built you know in a quick run mm-hmm. i need it to be both quick and architecturally sound Anyway, $60,000 is not going to go to architectural fees. This is going to go to the build-out materials in the way that I can also pay people to do them in the way that, you know, Royal can produce too. He doesn't have time for that. (laughs) Anyway, I have all kinds of friends to to make stuff for me. I just need to have, like, shelves, 
uh, build out stuff. Like I don't have the space yet. So this is all based on a space that I already had and lost. Uh, there's just all kinds of uh, math problems that go into guessing numbers for a space that doesn't quite exist. So I'm trying to finagle a space and then get all these numbers more specific so I can then shout about this Instagram some more. But I really just need money in my bank account so that I can negotiate with these places because I get turned away when they're like, you don't have any uh, capital. Right, 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 yeah. I know I don't have capital, so I need the space to make <laughs> fucking capital. Dude, I can make prints nice in the fucking space. Yeah. But anyway, I've lost a few spaces already due to that complex. But you have a, you have an idea of size and everything in mind. 800 square feet at least, 1,200 at the most. Uh, yeah, I, I Why 1,200 at the most? I don't really want to go bigger than that. That's a lot to clean. I am a clean <laughs> okay, junkie. Okay. I clean stuff and maintain okay. it well. Okay. I have two flat files outside. I have an exposure unit in storage. These are things I've already finagled, bought, moved several times, and it costs money. Yeah. I am in a deficit because of that, but I am still picking it up and know how to make prints in order to support that. I would like that to be paid back. That's why $98,000 is my goal. I'm with Does you. Does that make sense? Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. Yo. I'm with you. I'm an aggressive talker. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I love it, yo. I, I, I love listening to you talk. Because you, cause oh. you, you have, you have a, a very interesting way of looking at stuff, yo. And that, <laughs> I, I really like it. I really like like listening to your thought process and and and, and rocking with you. Like, just flowing just oh. with you. Like, you know, it's a good thing. You're nice to talk to. Thank you. <laughs> and so, so... In all, if you have a storefront, what would you use a storefront for? Like, would it be specifically for people to come off the streets and buy prints? Or is it more of yes. a client meeting space? Like, like exactly the vision. What do you what do you see? Both. Well, I really want to have a space to be able to present these prints to people so they can get their eyeballs on them and feel the quality mm -hmm. and how nice it is. So to, like a, know, like a semi gallery space? semi-gallery but it's going to have a worker at it who's going to be doing some finishing touches on prints for me all the time so uh i plan on just being a doodle person in a print shop in the back all the time i don't want to man the front much but when it comes to just like who's going to be working it it's going to be somebody who's multifunctional uh that can also perhaps have work in the fucking shop in the, in the front of it you know i don't have a ton of stuff to sell I'm not trying to really like have that much of a retail presence or do a ton of marketing and stuff, but I would really prefer to just have people in the space to see how this process is done. Uh, and because I'm a production person, it's, you know, technically small manufacturing is what I do. Um, that is tricky to zone in bedside. That's another thing. That's yeah, why I'm just like, give yeah, me a garage. Yeah, that's right. it's fine. It's just like cheap <laughs> is fine. It doesn't have to be nice. It's like, whatever. Um, anyway, restaurants can do so much for a local economy, but I think that seeing arts and having a presence and a cultural, cause I used to do that in Kansas city, you know, I'm, I'm vying for what my 12 year old self would want in my adult life. And that has a lot to do with like counterculture, you know? So I would, I would go to the city whenever I could to just get art supplies and walk around downtown or Westport, you know, you park at Osco and kind of like walk down the street there's an earring shop i would try to blend in with the art school kids before i was old <laughs> enough and they just didn't give a fuck i didn't care i'm fine <laughs> but i was still like i'm thrifting and like try my best to fit in go to the cafe uh anyway there was also this like zine shop that yeah, i forgot what it was because like punk you know it was just like something that wasn't super mainstream at all it had a bunch of zines in it and like um band posters and bookshop 
stuff. So it was just like counterculture and it smelled crazy. But I would, I would buy stuff in there and go and hang out and they would like chat. And it was just like a really welcoming space that um, I don't necessarily want to be like that. I just want to be able to welcome people and show that like art can be purchased and lived with and it can look a certain way. But the ideas that I can put together and the people that I can showcase don't necessarily have to do with that making a bottom line, you know, you, I have to sell these and make this much money. No, I just want to make something weird and, and make it with this person because they have a really good spirit. I mostly want to make my money in doing client editions, you know, or right. and making yeah. that equitable. Yeah. Uh, but the experimental publishing thing doesn't have to look a certain way. So I don't have to do a certain thing in the storefront, which is going to be very small relative to the print shop side <laughs> of my, you know, perhaps live workspace, hopefully living above, but yeah, definitely, no, definitely live workspace. <laughs> I can't yeah, go far. Yeah, from you it. can't. Yeah. You can't live without it. I love it. My brain doesn't work well without print shop. I need <laughs> space to tinker. It's like live without a kitchen. Okay. <laughs> And that's for sure, yo. So when the show opens up, yo, you you got any big surprises? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the four four prints are going to be pretty cool to see. Like those those four artists that are uh, curated to be, you know, special release edition. So that's going to be the the big thing to look out for. Um, it's a print by Justin Hager. I've got Emma Coleman and B. Annaly, who goes by Surprising Health Benefits online. And I chose them specifically because um, B's work does so well in wearable fashion and mm. in uh, contorting well to the wearer, but also showcasing their artwork in yeah. a way that's like super specific to them. You know, it's like nobody else can really do that. If, it, if they did, it would be ripping, you know, surprising health benefits off, you know, clearly. But that like specific unique style is something that I would love to work on as a print. So that's why getting them to do something on paper and then doing an addition out of that is going to be really cool to see how sticking with one thing in a multiple fashion um, can turn into something, you know, monetarily viable. They give money for it, but putting them in a category with Justin Hager and a Coleman and oh, like Shepard Fairey. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Yeah. I forgot about, you know, <laughs> forgot about I mean, and, and I have different reasons for pulling all of these people together. Shepard Fairey was a given, which is ridiculous to say. Why did I? That's like the craziest thing anybody could say about like. Well, Shepherd Fairy's a given in this show, so the <laughs> other ones are going to be blah 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 blah. I was trying to get Emory Douglas. Emory Douglas Ooh. was like my number one person, but he said no. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, Emma Coleman is someone I've always wanted to print for. I did it K Rock once, and she's just wonderful. And I just identify so much with the spirit that she puts into all of her work. That's so simple. It's like simplified and like very respectful to the medium, and not trying to force it to be something else. And mm -hmm. I just really just love her work so much. Um, Justin Hager is a friend of mine who I think could use like. I just really want to do multiples with him. Like his simplific, like also simple, but like not so far out artsy. Like you can just relate. And and he has such a good market for that already that I already know could use more with like the way I know how to do prints to get a boost out of. Um, clearly mutually beneficial, but I am, I've just been really wanting to get him on press for my own, you know, do good press adventures. And this is that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. Oh, one, I, you know, I, I can't uh, end the interview without at least talk about black women in print just a little bit. 
Like I saw, I, saw, I, <laughs> I yes. saw that you had to, had to, y'all just did the portfolio that you helped produce, which looks incredible, by the way. <sighs> like it's such a, such a great portfolio. Yeah. Check your Instagram, check your Instagram at little mouse do good. Uh, and, and check out this, this portfolio video that she's like going through all the prints. It's really incredible. Yo. Tell us that a little one bit I about put that. on do good press. Yeah. Thank you. It is such a really good organization to be a part of. I've been very grateful to have like seven, no, there were six of you. Anyway, there's just really strong black women printmakers, but the only thing we have in common is just being black women printmakers. You know, there's not a lot of other like shared space in that. So figuring out how we can make an organization exist to support that type of artist uh, takes a lot of different compromises, of course, and understanding where we're all at and what we want out of our own careers, you know, it doesn't always align after time. But putting together this portfolio, Tanikia did all of it. I only helped with like one, the, the concertina. There's like a booklet of a bio, bios of all of us. You know, I, I screen printed that. But, you know, to her direction and all the other things, she put, the, she put this whole thing together beautifully. Oh, I yeah, cannot she, commend her. Oh, wow. I mean, she's putting together her studio space now. So it was without all that and with a lot of other people doing parts of it for her. So she's the one who organized all of it and came up with wording that's also gorgeous. It's just, I mean, it, yes, please check out my Instagram so that you know how to copy this type of thing for your own wonderful portfolios to look as professional <laughs> as possible because there's no better like museum. This is in the Getty. This is in, it was acquired by the Getty. It was acquired by the Metropolitan Museum of Art. There are none for sale, of course, because they are very sold out. Uh, Latoya was able to get hers into the Met. I, I forgot. There's this every. They're all the best, all the best, to all of them. But I, I'm not that type of artist, and I can't be a part of the organization because I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not an individual artist, and I don't care to grow my studio practice. Uh, I'm a printmaker for others, and I am a production person at heart. So it's a matter of choice that I'm leaving and stepping down from my position, but I hope to be able to collaborate in ways that can be more fruitful for the organization when it comes to just, you know, let's make an addition every so often and that turns into money and then you get that <laughs> money and that's like nice to look forward to. If you got Leslie on your side, I could do that. Uh, but um, anyway, working from within doesn't include me doing that. So stepping out means that we can have a better opportunity to collaborate but the way they're defining things now doesn't include what I do best. So it's better for me to not be a part of it anymore, which is hard to step out of, but oh, there's so it's, they've got a lot of good stuff together. I'm, I'm very proud of them. Oh no, that's amazing. And, and you know, I, I appreciate that for you knowing who you are, right. And, and making sure that you put yourself in the, in the best situation that suits, that suits you so that your job doesn't become a job job, you know what I'm saying? And, and weigh down on you. Like, you know where you fit. Well, so I like that. I have to be very uncomfortable all the time to be sensitive enough to know when to say no to stuff, you know? And yeah. it's not easy to come up with the words to explain and express why I'm uncomfortable. Uh, or, you know, all these other things just take a lot of sensitivities that, that I don't know that everybody has access to. Is, you know, how, how many people you, it's an empathy thing. Yeah. But when it comes to defining where I want my own self to be, being a part of this portfolio really helps with encapsulating that moment in time that was put together in 2019 was the prompt. And so Wanda Ewing and the, the person that I was paying tribute to is a phenomenal printmaker who 
I knew towards the end of her life in Omaha, Nebraska, she died in 2013 when I moved to New York a couple months after. But before that, she was a very prolific, hugely hilarious, like very smiley person, like super fun to be around. Nobody knew she was sick. Like she didn't know she was uh, going until the end. Mm. But her best friend, Brigitte, was, you know, right there by her side for a lot of their lives, I think they've been friends, but uh, the two of them were like such an empowering moment for me to see what, you know, and it's mentorship, it's friendship. It's just growing with other people that know that you need their support back. Right. Uh, but Brigitte has done huge things for my career over the years. So being a part of Black Women in Print at the time I was paying tribute to Wanda in the way that I could to bring her into that is really my gift to, you know, Black Women in Print is just like, Here's Wanda Ewing through me. I'm gonna step out now. Like you guys enjoy this. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna not do this anymore. But like I'm really glad to have contributed what I could to the world of contemporary art with someone who's not with us anymore. It's so sad. But please look up Wanda Ewing. She's just got really amazing witty work that ended too soon. But she was really interested in not just printmaking. And I see that with the way Black Women of Print is defining itself. That is a specific type of thinker to be a studio practicing artist who's a, like you are, you know, making your own work killer out of a lot of different types of printmaking and production in general. Mm -hmm. um, but to be a change agent that is specific to screen printing, um, my best asset needs to be with working with multiple parties and not participating with my own art practice as much as how I can do that with other people. You right. Know? Yeah. Oh, I'm man. just, I love it. I love it, social, but also super not. <laughs> <laughs> I love hard. it, Joe. Yeah, thank you, thank you for coming on the podcast, Joe. This has been a great conversation, yo. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, for I sure. don't often think about these things you've asked, so it's really <laughs> beneficial to talk them through with you. No, nah, that's what's up, yo. And that's Leslie Do Good. Look her up at do do dash goodpress.com. Uh, check her Here out. Go. She's gonna have a bunch of work coming up for you. The show's coming up. It's gonna be major. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, and you everyone know, can see. Uh, yeah, everybody look at it and go and go ahead and donate donate to the GoFundMe, yo. I'm gonna donate, put in some money from Studio Noise. Uh, you to will. Help you out, Thank you. Absolutely. And oh, you know, Jamal. gotta get you going. We, you know, what I'm saying we love what you're doing. We are gonna support you to the end, yo. You friend, you you Studio Noise fam now. So you know, we always oh, gonna be there for you. It. I was hoping I wasn't in trouble because I didn't get at you when I was trying to. When you said something about it, I was like, "Tell me that's go. It's going to happen. Everything going to happen right on time. And you know what? It happened right on time. So you can get this GoFundMe going and talk about your show too and all that good stuff, yo. So it worked out perfectly. I Love it. having you on the podcast, girl. So chill. I'm going to find you next time over your area. <laughs> We're going to be friends. Uh oh. <laughs> Look out, Leslie's gonna bother you next time nah, she's in town. Hey, yo, I'm here, yo. I'm always here. <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, I, matter of fact, I was gonna. Uh, whenever you, you know, what I'm saying your schedule get get fixed up, you always see if we can make a print together. That'd be pretty Hell awesome. Oh yeah, you kidding me? Let's do something weird. We're not gonna do it normal. We're <laughs> gonna do a variable edition. I love it, yo, yo. You right? That's right up my alley, yo. I've been okay, thinking about that your, a lot. We could even. Yeah. I mean, okay. There's too many options now. Okay. We'll talk about this later, <laughs> clearly, but I mean, that's how every project has to happen for me. So that's why this show in general is cool to have on showcase. You'll get pictures of it if you're not going to see it in real life. But the point of it is that this is how I make art with people is doing this type of thing and then getting connected to do another thing. Yeah. It's not like, that driven on like I'm gonna market and plan ahead. <laughs> I'm like tumbling yes, into it's all, successful yes, now. It's all creative, but. yo. I love it. It's all creative. 
That's Looking what's out. Up. We're going to do something neat. I'm ready for it. <laughs>